Hump Day, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Wednesday, so this is an archive show, but it last aired two to ten years ago, so unless you're a hardcore, long-time listener, it's probably new to you. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. It was early afternoon on a sunny October day in 1883 and a group of Astorians were standing on the shore watching a small, trim schooner sailing toward them. They'd been watching it all day, this little schooner, and by now they were a little worried. The boat was the J.C. Cousins, one of the two pilot boats based out of Astoria. On the morning of the day before, it had cast off from the dock and sailed out to sea to await oncoming ships, to offer them its professional assistance in crossing the Columbia River Bar, that treacherous graveyard of ships, as they called it. But now the Cousins was behaving rather strangely, and the onlookers were starting to wonder if something was wrong. The J.C. Cousins was a 66-foot schooner that had been built in San Francisco as a pleasure yacht for a wealthy citizen in 1863. Its lines were gorgeous. It was trimmed generously with expensive hardwoods, and its chandlery was all top-notch. But within a few months of taking delivery, the yacht's owner was forced to give it up. Whether he had to sell for financial reasons or whether the loss had to do with the Civil War isn't clear. But in any case, the gorgeous, luxurious yacht ended up functioning as a pilot boat. Eventually, in 1881, it was sold to a group of skippers to use in piloting merchant ships through the treacherous bar on the Columbia. And it was two years after that, on October 6, 1883, that the J.C. Cousins cast off from the dock in Astoria for its ill-starred final cruise. At first, everything appeared quite normal. The J.C. Cousins crew rigged the sails for a close reach and stood out onto the bar, making for the open sea. Soon afterward, the little schooner was seen anchored off Peacock Spit, presumably waiting for oncoming ships in need of guidance through the channel. But late that afternoon, things had started to look just a little bit odd. The crew of the tugboat Mary Taylor, coming across the bar, saw the J.C. Cousins on the move, sails trimmed for a close reach across the southwest wind, which in itself wasn't too unusual, although it wasn't clear why it was on the move. There were no ships in sight. But what really made the situation strange was, for no apparent reason, the boat was sailing through the breakers at the edge of the channel instead of the clear water a few dozen yards away in the middle. The Mary Taylor's skipper watched as the J.C. Cousins cleared the breakers and stood out to sea. Then, when it was a few miles offshore, it tacked round and started back toward the bar again. When it got there, it once again came about and headed back out toward the sea. It continued doing this, alternating close reaches out to sea and back toward land until darkness came and it was lost to sight. The next morning found the cousins still on the move. It looked as if it had been sailing around all night long. Their concern growing, a small group of locals watched from shore as the cousins continued its strange wanderings. Then, around 1 p.m., the cousins turned back landward and this time made no attempt to come about. Churning through the surf with its sails still rigged and full of the wind, the sleek schooner piled hard onto the beach and tilted over onto its side. 
The onlookers ran to help, but couldn't get near the wreck until several hours later at low tide. In the meantime, nothing had moved on the deck of the J.C. Cousins. The ship looked lifeless. When they finally reached the schooner, they found it empty and deserted. Both lifeboats were gone, and the paperwork was all missing from the wheelhouse, suggesting that the vessel had been deliberately abandoned. There was no sign of the crew on board the ship, and none of them were ever heard from again. What could have happened? Local mariners and other amateur investigators started coming up with theories right away. The one that got the most attention was the theory that one of the crew members, a Mr. Zeber, whom nobody in town really seemed to know, had been hired by the J.C. Cousins' competitors as a rat to murder the other crew members and wreck the ship. This theory gained currency later, when the mariners returning to Astoria from points of call in East Asia claimed to have seen Zeber there, alive and well. If this was the plan, though, it didn't work very well. The J.C. Cousins was insured. No one with a lick of sense would run pilot boat services on the Columbia River Bar without insurance and the boat's owners had replaced the cousins with a big sloop within a matter of days. According to author Gibbs's book, there were also quite a few of what you might call X-theories making the rounds in waterfront watering holes as well. Perhaps a sea monster got the men, the saloon patrons whispered darkly over their drinking jacks. Maybe there was a mutiny and they all killed each other. Quote, One demented old beachcomber told how a great ghost ship had borne down on the cousins and frightened the crew so badly that they took to the boats for fear of being rammed, Gibbs writes. Gibbs, perhaps taking a little literary license with the story, quotes the doddering fellow at some length. Quote, He would shake his bony finger at them, those who doubted his story. It is real, I tell you. He would frown, a ship of the dead that sails the sea with a ghostly crew. In the tempest she appears, and before the gale or again the gale, she sails without a rag of canvas and without a helmsman at the wheel. So, yes, there was that theory, too. What, then, really happened? Gibbs guesses as good as any. He suggests that the boat strayed into shallow waters and grounded on the sand. Desperate to get away from the ship before the breakers could sweep its decks clean and pin it to the sandy bottom and pound it to pieces, which was the usual script in such situations, the crew piled into a lifeboat, which was then swamped before it could reach shore and all aboard were drowned. The schooner then drifted into deeper water and, its sails trimmed just right, sailed off to sea without a crew. It is certainly possible, and it fits the evidence. But what are the odds that the sails would be trimmed just right so that the boat would sail back and forth in the same spot for 12 to 24 hours instead of being blown, as Flotsam usually was, downwind onto the north coast of the river? Well, as with any ghost ship story, there's just no way we will ever really know what happened. This article was first published on May 4th of 2014 under the headline, The Mysterious Disappearance of a Schooner's Entire Crew. Key sources included works by James A. Gibbs, E. W. Wright, and The Astorian. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love, which is in turn a division of Pulplet Productions, a boutique publishing house that specializes in audiobook and regular book editions of stories from the classic pulp fiction era. Robert E. Howard, Algernon Blackwood, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so on. More info can be found at pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license, type CC by SA International 4.0. 
Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Got an idea for a show I should do, or just want to say hi, or maybe you're going to be in Corvallis sometime soon with time for a cup of coffee or a pint of Hammerhead? Drop me a line at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Fresh episodes of Offbeat Oregon History come your way at around 6 a.m. every weekday morning. So if you're looking for the next one, you haven't long to wait. Till then, go fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.